Good morning and welcome to Live from FM 91, conversation and performance with some of the area's finest musicians and visiting guest artists. We're coming to you from WGTE's Dana Performance Studio today. I'm your host, Brad Cresswell. I'm joined in the studio by Baroque cellist Juliana Soltis, who has made time in her very busy uh, touring schedule right now to stop by the studios here in Toledo. Welcome, Juliana. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that you you were able to stop by and share this new album with us. First of all, I want to say, uh, when your first album came out a couple of years ago, it immediately caught my eye because it was called Enter the Devil. And and when I first saw it and saw the picture of you, I thought, you know, it was saying something about you, but, <laughs> but it was actually a survey of, you know, the emergence of the uh, Baroque cello as a solo instrument in, in 18th century France, right? Yes. So now you have followed that up a couple of years later by revisiting probably one of the most sacred cows in all of the cello literature, which are the Bach solo cello suites. You recorded all of these, and the album is called Going Off Script, which kind of gives a clue as to what your approach is for these cello suites. Why don't you give us just a a, a little introduction to this recording and, and what you're taking on tour with you? Well, this particular recording, or my recording of, of the Bach cello suites, um, tries to get in touch with the performative tradition in which Johann Sebastian Bach, who wrote the, the suites, worked. And when I say performative tradition, that is a very fancy, I have a whole bunch of degrees way of, of saying the way that people played things. Yeah. Um, Bach is living and working in a world in which improvisation is a huge part of performing what we call classical music. Now, classical musicians today, you know, we're taught from a very young age you play the notes on the page, you follow the instructions that are on the page, that is it. It's a very post-romantic, post-modern way of, of playing things. It owes a lot to, to Milton Babbitt, and I do love his his essay, Who Cares <laughs> If You Listen. Right. Um, I certainly recommend it to anybody, but that's not uh, the way that, that Bach and his contemporaries intended people to interact with the music that they wrote. So what is it that you're doing that's different from what other cellists have done? I mean, you know, these suites were not all that popular. They were sort of like rediscovered by Pablo Casals when he recorded it in the 30s, right? Mm -hmm. And that became sort of the touchstone, I think, for many cellists, although they branched off in different directions, playing it on different instruments, different arrangements. What is it that you're doing specifically with these cello suites that that makes it a, a different approach? from what other cellists do these days? Well, specifically what I'm doing is I am going in and I am completing Bach's process of composition in the moment of performance by adding these spontaneously improvised little bits. Mm. And the word that we use to describe these improvised bits is ornamentation or ornaments. Yeah. Again, you know, spend a whole lot of years in school to learn yeah. one, one <laughs> fancy word of describing a, a fairly simple yeah. concept. Um, but what I tell people to listen for in performances and what I hope listeners will uh, be attuned to today is you'll hear me play something once and you'll think, oh, how pretty, hopefully. And then you'll be like, oh, wait, didn't I just hear her do that? Is she playing that again? And you are all very, very smart 
Uh, because yes, I have taken a repeat and I am playing something again. And it's on this repeat that you want to pay closest attention because this is when these ornaments, when these spontaneous improvisations happen. Well, enough talk. Let's do a little music. I, I know you want to play, uh, start with probably the best known excerpt from the Swedes. Will you intro this for us? Oh, this is one of my favorite movements. I think this is probably everybody's favorite movement when it comes to the Bach cello suites. Uh, complete strangers seeing me standing on subway platforms or street corners waiting for that Uber or in airport security check lines um, will come up to you and, and, and they will sing this movement. They'll sing the opening of this and they say, do you play that really pretty piece? Not realizing that what they're singing to me is the prelude from Suite Number no. One in G Major by Johann Sebastian yeah. Bach. Thank you. 
Baroque cellist Juliana Soltis with the prelude from the solo cello suite number one in G major of Johann Sebastian Bach. Juliana has stopped by in her whirlwind tour right now in Ohio. I know you were in Columbus a couple of days ago. You're going to be in Cleveland tomorrow night, actually, Friday evening. Uh, Tell us where you're going to be just in case folks want to make the trek out there and see you in person. I am going to be performing at the Transformer Station, which is actually a small contemporary art museum in Cleveland. I'm really excited. It's a wonderful acoustic, and of course, there will be lots of really interesting art on display for guests to enjoy as well. Yeah, and and music that certainly goes with with art. Um, Listening to that, I mean, it sounds, yeah, it sounds a little different than what I've heard before. What strikes me about some of this is I've always thought that Bach, you know, was just a hair's breadth from jazz sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that sort of really comes alive in what you're doing with these cello suites because there's an improvisatory element as well. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You know, our approach to Bach since the 19th century, and when I say the 19th century, I'm really thinking about what we call the Great Bach Revival. Hmm. Um, there are a couple other famous composer names associated with that. Brahms and, and Mendelssohn and Schumann really worked to publish the first collected edition of, of Bach's works and to bring his music back into the public consciousness because in, in Bach's time, sort of once once you were gone... That was it. People wanted what was what was new. And even in his own time, Bach was considered a little bit of an old-fashioned composer. We know that mm. his son's sons thought that he was, you know, kind of a stodgy, stodgy <laughs> old man, you know. I, um, my children feel the same way about oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's good to know some things never change. Right. <laughs> Parents and children. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, in, in Bach's time... This music is, is is a living art form, much like jazz. You know, you go and you hear a, a jazz trio perform on two consecutive nights, and they could do the exact same set, and it's not going to sound the same. Bach's music, the music of any Baroque composer, is really meant to be played in in that same vein, where every single time that you hear it, it's it's different because every performer is going to on this repeated material add something that that is unique to them and certainly I you know played it one way in Columbus on on Sunday night um, I'm playing it one way today on 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 Thursday morning and I will play it another way tomorrow night and Friday evening and yeah. I think it's exciting you know they the it takes the works away from that realm of being sort of dusty museum pieces that we must venerate from a very safe do not set off the alarms uh, <laughs> distance and and turns them into real living works of art with which we can feel free to engage on a very human level. Yeah, yeah, and you make a good point about not necessarily striving as an artist and a performer for that perfect performance every time, right? That that you see sort of etched in marble, as mm-hmm. it were. Yours is living; it's breathing. You're trying to do something a little bit different, and. and you know, it may have been back in the day, well, certainly even before Bach's time, this cello was, was being played because it's older than Bach. It is. And, which is a mind-blowing concept, <laughs> I have to say. Just take a moment and introduce us to your, your cello. 
Uh, well, my first cello that I'm playing today, um, I call Grace, um, social media posts where I'm talking about, oh, Grace and I are, are stopping for a coffee in Duluth or, or something. I'm talking about my, my cello. Good to um, know. <laughs> people are like, who is she traveling with? <laughs> Your um, imaginary friend, My perhaps. imaginary yeah. friend. The only person brave enough to go on tour with me. <laughs> So Grace is your cello. Grace yeah. is my cello, and uh, Grace is uh, an actual Baroque instrument. And when I say an actual Baroque instrument, I mean she is an instrument from the Baroque period, which of course yeah. went from 1600-ish to 1750. Um, those dates aren't exact. It's just a ballpark we give ourselves. Um, and her label says 1677. Wow. Yeah. Now, that date is disputed um, as, as dates for, for instruments this old often are. But what is not disputed is the maker. Mm. And most people probably haven't heard of this particular uh, violin maker. His name was Andreas Fernand Meyer. He's not as famous as Stradivarius or Amati. You know, there's no movies being made about him, no mystique <laughs> about the instruments. Um, but he has one very important claim to fame, and I wonder if you can guess it. He worked in Salzburg. Oh, okay. You can think so of it has something else. to do with Mozart, I It assume. does have something yeah. to do with Mozart. Um, Andreas Ferdinand Meyer, in addition to making my cello, made the child Mozart's very first violin. Oh, yeah, wow, that's that a nice connection to have. That is a nice connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go back to the uh, suite number one. You're going to play another excerpt from it, I believe, the Courant. Mm -hmm. Yes. And is there a little bit of improv involved in this piece as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I certainly improvised a little bit in the prelude, but that can be a, a little more challenging to detect unless you know the music really, really well. But when I start into the dance movements, and mm. the courant is one of the dance movements, here's where you're definitely going to hear the same material come back, and that's when you really want to like sort of prick up your ears and, and see if you can detect those ornaments. Yeah. Jealous Juliana Soltis, music of Johann Sebastian Bach, once again, here on Live from FM 91. Thank you. 
From the first solo cello suite in G major by Johann Sebastian Bach, we heard the Courant, performed here in our Dana Performance Studio by Baroque cellist Juliana Soltis. She is my guest today for Live from FM 91. Juliana has recorded all six of these solo Bach cello suites in her own inimitable style, I should say, (laughs) and uh, the wonderful cello that you brought in the studio this morning. The name of the album is called Going Off Script, The Ornamented Suites. Cello. We've been talking about what that means today. But Juliana, tell us uh, where folks can find you online if they're interested in the uh, album. Oh my goodness, there are a lot of options, which is kind of nice, you know, about living yeah. in, the, in the digital age. Um, you can find everything on my website, julianasoltismusic.com. But the album is sort of available from all of the usual suspects, including right. Amazon and uh, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, if streaming is, is really your thing. And you can also buy physical copies of the album from cdbaby.com. Yeah, I, I vote for the physical copy because I'm holding one right here. And, and it's quite a beautiful compilation that you have here, including a little booklet that goes with it. And one of the things that caught my eye in the booklet and that you mentioned to me in one of our previous conversations is this next piece that we're going to hear, the, these two menuets from that suite number one in G major, that you wanted to play the prelude when you were very young, but your teacher said you weren't ready, and then you they, they put you onto these different menuets instead. Yes. It, it, have, I, have I sort of followed that correctly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah give, give us a little backstory on you. Now, when did you start playing the cello? I started playing the cello when I was nine, which is a little on the the later side. Um, uh, A lot of people I went to school with actually started when they were toddlers. But I started when I was nine because there was a free program that was offered in the public schools where I grew up in South Charleston, West Virginia. And it's a partnership between the West Virginia Symphony and the Kanawha County Schools that thankfully continues to this day um, because it allows a lot of other children who wouldn't otherwise have this opportunity the chance 
chance to learn how to play a stringed instrument. And mm. even if, like, my, my brother, who is now a <gasps> lawyer... <laughs> <laughs> Working for the man. Um, yeah. uh, even he learned how to play the violin in the public schools. And um, uh, I think that no child is ever the worse off for having that chance to learn how to express themselves through music. Yeah. Well, in your case, obviously, you, you went and ran with it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, getting back to this story about the cello suites, now I imagine, you know, as a budding cellist, that was one of the first things that you went straight toward was that prelude that we heard you play earlier. But your teacher said said no. She said no. Um, I didn't know what it was. I just had heard the piece and I thought that it was really pretty. And so I taught myself how to play uh, the first couple of opening bars. And, uh. and since I didn't know what the piece was, I went into my lesson and I sat down and I played those opening bars for my, my teacher. And I said, I want to play this. And not knowing, of course, that it's Bach and that, that people talk about the Bach cello suites as being alternately the Mount Everest or the Mount Olympus mm. of, of cello playing. And and she says you're not ready to to play that that piece yet. And yeah. with you know all the authority of an 11 year old who has been playing the cello for all of two years <laughs> in public schools, I insisted that I was. I just I really really wanted to play this this piece. I think like so many other people, it just connected with me on on a very deep elemental level. And finally, she said, "Okay, you can play Bach." But we're going to start with these minuets in, in, <laughs> instead, um, because I suppose comparatively they're easier. The funny thing about Bach is the older you get, it doesn't really get easier. <laughs> right. You just you start to find more and more in it, and and of course you know you refine your 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 technique. And and I think of technique just as uh, as kind of like a painter's palette. The more uh, colors you have, the more beautiful things you can create um but it never gets easier (laughs) okay well we'll we'll turn it over to a little bit more music here returning now to that uh suite number one in g major we're going to hear the minuets one and two again baroque cellist juliana soltis performing here on live from fm 91 
Baroque cellist Juliana Soltis performing the menuets from the suite number one in G major for solo cello, music of Johann Sebastian Bach. Juliana is with us for live from FM91 talking about Bach and those uh, cello suites and also her new album, which documents everything we've been listening to this morning. It's called Going Off Script, the Ornamented Suites for Cello. Now, there are hours of music here, (laughs) and, and you're performing from memory, which is an extraordinary feat. I, I didn't mention that earlier, but it occurred to me <laughs> while you were playing that that there's no music involved. I guess the music's all in your head. It does really sort of start to become part of you the more and more you play it. But I have to admit, um, before anybody thinks that this is a super cosmic feat <laughs> I am achieving, I do actually have an eidetic memory. So it's a little well, explain bit Explain what a that cheat. means. Oh, an eidetic memory um, is the technical term for what people uh, perhaps have heard more commonly referred to as a photographic memory. Okay. So I remember whatever I see or whatever I hear. Um, Again, so good to know. <laughs> good to know. Well, it's very no. useful as a, as a musician, although... Um, it means for me that when I'm preparing to do something like perform or for a recording that I really do have to avoid other recordings um, uh, to yeah. avoid internalizing s- too much somebody else's way of playing, which is a shame because there are so many wonderful Bach recordings out there. I'm a little embarrassed to even think about how many I own um, on everything from LP to, um, to CD. Um, but you have to divest yourself of all of those other interpretations in order to form your own. Absolutely. Like somebody asked me once, you know, do you ever listen to recordings? And I certainly do. Like when I'm thinking about a, a, a project, certainly a project like this where the material has been recorded a lot, I really want to know what everybody else has has done. Mm. Um, I talk in the booklet to the album a bit about my reticence to ever actually record the cello suites. I really didn't think it was something I was ever going to do. Because so much has been said, and it has been said so well by right. my colleagues that um, I thought, you know, I don't really want to, to make a Bach album unless I have something very specific to add to the conversation. So I, I spent a lot of time listening to, to Bach and, and just seeing what's out there before yeah. I ever got started. Well, let me add to the list of your superpowers besides the, the photographic memory and the, uh, you know, virtuosic cello playing. <laughs> also, y- you have magnificent handwriting, which I know it, it makes its mark in the, the book here, the print booklet. Mm-hmm. But I know for a fact because you sent me a letter a while back. I did. And, and it was handwritten. <laughs> and I was thinking, this this can't be somebody's real handwriting. It's like calligraphy. Um, I, I think they should make a font, right, out of your your handwriting. That has been suggested yeah. before, um, you know, um, and and since uh, I had to do so much handwriting for for the album, when my graphic designer Caleb Nye and I were playing with fonts, we just we couldn't find anything that we felt 
captured the the spirit of of the album and with the booklet and with the physical product we were really looking to create something that would be as much of an experience as the music itself and be as important to the person who who chooses to to uh, interact with it yeah. as as the recordings and we're just like oh this uh, all these what they call boxed fonts we did, we didn't like any of them and i said wait 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 and I uh, did a little bit of just calligraphy on a scrap piece of paper, and I took a, a photo of it with my handy dandy, never far from my side <gasps> smartphone. Right. And and Caleb was like, "That's it." And so once we really got into the album notes, and we thought we really want to make this this handwriting something that ties the whole thing together and to give it that that personal feeling but having written out certain <laughs> words so many times yeah. because I often did multiple versions for Caleb to find the one that would work best with the page layout I would appreciate it if somebody would create a font in my <laughs> handwriting just so that the next time I decide to do something like this maybe my hand won't hurt so much yeah. from writing you'll never never have to uh, hand draw anything again or handwrite <laughs> anything again it's, well just another reason to buy the uh, the physical album itself uh, which is uh, beautiful beautifully designed and beautifully played. I know you have, uh, we, we've met Grace, your cello. Now mm-hmm. Grace's little sister, I assume, is sitting there uh, next to her. Another cello you brought in to play this last piece of music. You want to introduce us to her? Yeah, well, actually, this is Grace's little brother. Oh, um, well, you know, never mind. Cellists, we can be so funny about this. I don't know that, that violinists and violists do this in quite the same way, but cellists, we often name our instruments. Maybe it's because they're person-sized, and they take up a, a seat on the airplane, and right. sometimes Grace gets off offered cocktails and snacks and things, which is always amusing. Um, But uh, Grace's little brother is a beater. And originally beater's name was beater, because when I found this cello, uh, a friend of mine played it and looked at it and goes, oh, that's such a beater. I can't believe you bought that, meaning like a, a bad cello or a cello that was in bad shape. But when I found beater, um, and I changed the name from beater to beater, uh, because people got a little bit upset, and I thought, okay, right. <laughs> just change a letter, and, and it's suddenly better. Um, when I found Beater, he was set up as a four-string instrument, but I heard potential in in the sound of this beat-up little cello, and I thought, I'm going to take this instrument, and I am going to take it to my luthier at the time, was Scott Smith in Seattle, and I asked him to convert it into a five-stringed instrument. Hmm. Um, And you could say, well, why a a five-string cello? And why are you playing Bach on a five-string cello? And there's one very, very good reason for that, which is that Bach told me to. And, and you're not saying that he appeared to you as an apparition. You're, you're saying no. this is these are the instructions that that he left behind. Right? I know we're yeah. very very close to Halloween, but no, Bach did not appear <laughs> right. to me. I wish he had. I would have asked him all kinds of questions um, yeah. <laughs> if he had. There's I, lots I'd love to know. Um, but there's an indication at the beginning of the sixth suite in D major that says that this piece should be played on une violoncelle a cinq cordes. And what that means is a cello with five strings. And five string cellos are pretty rare in the 21st century. 
the cello that we see with the, the Cleveland Orchestra or that you see in a chamber music concert here in Toledo is a, is a four-stringed instrument. Yeah. Uh, but in Bach's time, there were many versions of the cello. There were many versions of cellos like Grace. Uh, they were often tuned differently depending on what city you were in or what country you lived in. And there were also multiple versions of the five-string cello. Beater is what's called a violoncello piccolo. And I love that name because violoncello means little bass violin mm. and piccolo makes things even smaller. <laughs> so it's like the little, little bass violin. So you can't see beater, but he's actually on the small side, um, probably a little more in line with a child's cello than with an, an adult cello. And um, there was another version of the five string cello called the violoncello da spalla. Mm. I love those. Yeah. It's the cello of the shoulder. And uh, it's a smaller than beater even cello. And it has a big leather strap like you'd see on an electric guitar. And you're supposed to sling this thing over your shoulder <laughs> and play this cello on your shoulder. And the theory is that it was invented so that violinists and violists could could play the, the, the cello. Because, you know, who doesn't want to be a cellist? <laughs> That's right. All roads lead to the cello. It's fascinating, and I imagine it, it must have been a bit of an adjustment for you, though. To, to had had you played a five-string cello before? Or did you learn it specifically for this kind of music? I learned it specifically to play this suite. Um, there's a, a sort of a misconception or an urban myth that this is the only piece for which anyone ever requires a five-string cello. There are actually a lot of extant works from the Baroque period that ask for a five-string cello of, of some sort. Um, but I have never played any of those works. And so this was the first time that I really picked up a five-string instrument in, in seriousness. And I thought with all of the, you know, surety and a little bit of arrogance that comes with having played the, the cello for almost 30 mm. years now, that it was going to be a very simple thing to put down grays and pick up this little five-string instrument and just, you know, rip away at some, some sixth suite. But the addition of the fifth string, and this is an E string that is added to the top of an in, the instrument, so it's got the C, G, D, A, like a normal cello, but then an E string on top, like a violin. Mm. Um, I thought this was going to be very, very easy. But adding that E string completely changes the tension dynamics of, of the instrument. And of course, that, that tension, the physics of sound, that's, that's how we make sound at, at the cello. And um, it, it was not uh, easy. Yeah. It was it was very humbling <laughs> to say the least. There was a good bit of sort of cursing and swearing that went on at, yeah. at my house while I was was trying to learn this cello. And uh, you and I had talked in my first album about a similar experience I had where I was bowing the cello underhanded for one piece. And I, I went back and forth for the longest time about whether I was really going to go through with it because <laughs> I hated the sound so much. And finally realized that I was trying to impose an idea of sound onto uh, this particular approach to playing the cello. And I came around to that same idea again with the five-string cello that, you know, maybe you are trying too hard to make this cello, which is nothing like Grace, yeah. sound like Grace. And, and so once I started opening up my mind and my ears to this idea that it could be something completely different than any of the other five suites, you know, wonderful things really started to happen. Great. 
Well, I'm, I'm so anxious to hear an example <laughs> now after all, after all of that. Um, this is from the suite number six, which is for, as you mentioned, this type of cello, the five-string cello. We're going to hear the jig from that, music of Johann Sebastian Bach, Baroque cellist Juliana Soltis and Beater joining us here in the studio on Live from FM 91. Thank you. 
Jealous Juliana Soltis performing the jig from the suite number six for solo cello in D major. That's music of J.S. Bach. And Juliana has spent uh, time with us this morning talking about not only Bach and all this wonderful music, but also about her album, which contains all six of the suites for cello of Bach. It's called Going Off Script, the ornamented suites for cello available, as Juliana said, from all the usual suspects. You can find that (laughs) online. Probably the best thing to do if you want to learn more about Juliana is just to uh, Google her name, J-U-L-I-A-N-A-S-O-L-T-I-S, Juliana Soltis. Juliana, I know you have a concert in Cleveland that's coming up tomorrow, Friday evening, Mm -hmm. and that's at, you said, Transformer Station? At the Transformer Station. Okay, so any folks listening out uh, west of Toledo want to make the trek out, or out east, I should say, of Toledo, (laughs) unless you want to make an extra long drive. Um, head on over to uh, Cleveland and catch Juliana's show. I know you have many more performances in the future for your your tour of this wonderful album. But uh, let me thank you, first of all, for making the time to stop in and share your art and artistry with us. It's been a fascinating conversation, wonderful performance, and uh, we hope someday you'll come back and, and visit us again. Oh, I'd love to. Next time I'm gonna play in Toledo for sure. Okay, definitely. You've been listening to Live from FM 91. I'm your host, Brad Cresswell, and our broadcast engineer today was Chris Pfeiffer, who also handled our production mixing this morning. Thanks for joining us today here on your public radio station, FM 91.